George Lazenby. The different bond from the same staple. Diana Rigg has the Comtessa, the different bond woman. This one's got class and style. The villains with a difference. Telly Savalas as Blofeld, a new destructive force. With the difference, if my demands are not met, I shall proceed with a systematic extinction of whole species of cereals and livestock all over the world. So you want to watch a movie, but you don't know which. Choosing the one can be a bitch. But Jared and Drew have perfected the art. So sit back, relax, and trust the dark. It's dark for movie night. What's going on, everyone? I'm Drew. And I'm Jared. And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the podcast where we put 20 movies on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. Today on the show, we are dipping into the sixth entry from the most prolific major blockbuster character of all time and what some consider to be the best of the bunch. This week, we're covering 1969's On Her Majesty's Secret Service, starring George Lazenby as James Bond in his only outing as the character and co-starring Diana Rigg and Telly Savalas. How's wow. it going, Jared? Dude, it's going great. What an intro. That was beautiful, <laughs> man. I figured I'd, I'd beef it up this week because yeah. uh, we're covering one of my favorite series of all time. Yeah, you got the polish out, man, there for sure. Go. Is that true? I didn't know that it was held in such high regard in terms of the filmography in general. You know, it's, well, I mean, early reactions to it, like when it was first released, people didn't like it. It, it was, mm-hmm. uh, people just wanted Sean Connery. They, like, that's <laughs> the only thing they ever associated with the character, so it was fucking weird to have a new guy play the character. Yeah. Um, and I think it just colored a lot of people. You know, we've talked in the past about, like, movies that just, like, they just didn't register, but but deserved a lot more attention, and this is definitely yeah. like one of those. Um, yeah. But it's gotten a lot of you know reevaluation recently, you know, and I I would say like yeah, it's 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 up there. It's it's one of the cool. ones that people say is like one of their favorites. That's awesome, and this yeah. is this is a big deal, if I'm not mistaken, for you us getting to this movie. Yeah, like if absolutely. if 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 memory serves, I believe you once told me. That this was the last Bond movie that you had not seen yet? Is that, that is true? absolutely correct. And uh, yeah, I was mentioning, you know, in the when we were kind of planning the, the show, that like when we first got on, um, that, you know, I, I every November, I for, have for a few years now watched pretty much all the Bonds every year. Not, not you know, mm-hmm. in order or anything like that. I just kind of... It's something about you know the the late fall season uh, just yeah. feels like the right time to watch Bond for me. Well, do you think is, there's any relation to this? My my roommate Bridget brought this up when I was watching the movie that she was like, "Oh, do you remember when Spike TV used to do those Bond marathons?" That definitely conditioned me for that for sure. Yeah, and it's a, and it it was a great idea just to do a Bond marathon this kind of interesting holiday that a lot of family members get together over but it's not really like other than football it's not like you watch christmas movies or th- something and there are very few thanksgiving movies when you really think about it but uh so it's a perfect fit it was really a marketing stroke of genius by spike tv i think to do those runs 
Because it's a great thing to just have on in the background during the holidays, all these old Bond movies. Yeah, well, they they kind of used the tracer bullets of the uh, uh, Rocky marathons that they would do, you know, early mm. on, which were yeah, a yeah, much yeah. more condensed type marathon, and then they really beefed it up with the Bond series. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, I'm excited to ta- to chat about this and kind of talk about Bond in general, and it's great that you know you you get to really close one out something significant a very beefy and massive filmography well yeah i didn't really get to what i was saying but i I, you know the like despite me doing that most years this is the one that i've just never gotten to i think like Mm. i from an early age i thought that this was just a bad bond like you know george lazenby only did one he couldn't have been that good right like yeah i don't know that that was just what my you know and i grew up watching these movies so um you know that's my child brain kind of you know impression of of what this movie was you know i would rent these movies my mom would take me to blockbuster and you know i'd pick up one or two of these and watch them in a weekend um and i i distinctly remember uh one of the ones that i rented at one point was this movie and I threw it on, and for whatever reason, I watched the opening scene, and the image of George Lazenby as Bond was so, like, it, it just didn't work for me immediately. And I remember mm. turning it off and just deciding I wasn't going to watch that one. <laughs> and I don't know why I did that. But had, were you coming to it straight off of, like, I mean, I'm sure you didn't watch them sequentially, right? You didn't no, watch, like, all No, no, but I mean, I had first. been deep in the uh, Sean Connery bonds at that point. So I think mm-hmm. I kind of had the same reaction that audiences <laughs> did when they first saw this movie. This is, like, 30 years later, and you're kind of matching their reaction to it. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, no, it, it's, uh, it, it was really fun to, to finally get to check this one off, for sure. Yeah. I normally do it like, I don't know about a lot of research, but I generally, if I rent the DVD or the Blu-ray, I really like diving into the special features and stuff like that. I didn't do that with this one. I was like, I kind of want to just keep this, from my perspective anyway, organic and loose and just talk about how I felt about the flick and not really mine into the backstory much. But I did see one thing talking about how it spawned different expressions. Like when something is the worst of a group or the worst of a series, it can be referred to as the George Lazenby, like someone called George Clooney, the George Lazenby of Batman's and things like that, you know? And so it's like, I wonder even if when you were a kid, if some of that somehow had leaked in, like there's this kind of cultural idea that he is the worst bond and it's beyond reproach apparently. But I, I, you know, seeing it fresh, like I didn't really have that reaction to it. I think I was just, I remember being so confused looking at the, uh, the, the VHS box on the shelf in Blockbuster as a child. Like, mm-hmm. um, I remember looking at that and being like, that's Bond? That doesn't look like Bond. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know why, but anyway, that, that's kind of, that was my early reaction. But um, I kind of just, I, I, I f- want to start by saying, I think this movie is a perfect Bond movie to cover for this podcast. Mm. because it's the only one that he did and it's and it's got this greater context that we'll get into and i'm really excited to kind of talk about the making of this movie because it's it's fascinating um but 
you know, it's kind of it's kind of self-contained. And I also and I feel like, you know, if you watch one Sean Connery Bond, that does not give you the context of of Sean Connery Bond, you know. Right. Um, and same for pretty much all the other ones. I guess Dalton would be the only other one you could maybe cover in one. But uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me what your what's your background with Bond? Did you grow up watching these at all? So I didn't really grow up with them in a lot of ways. Um, I think my first interaction with Bond was from the GoldenEye video game. I think, honestly, that's how I got introduced to the idea of James Bond was my friends had an N64, didn't really have a video game system in my house at the time, so and they were all super into it. And, you know, I was enjoying playing the game too, but I didn't really know anything about the context. I knew yeah. it was, I had heard of James Bond, obviously. We all have, and I kind of knew I had an idea of his shtick. But I didn't really see a lot of... James Bonds. And then in high school... Well, hold on. Before we move off of that, when you were playing... First of all, I want to say that I think having Goldeneye, the video game, be an intro to Bond is probably true for a lot of our generation. I think so, too. Because that was such a major video game. And it was when we were like six or seven years old. uh, Yeah, yeah. At least for me and you and, and, you know, people around our age. So, um, yeah, I think that's probably true. But I wanted to ask about that. What, you know, in the game, and obviously like a big part of playing that video game was the multiplayer and in the multiplayer you can choose to be different you know characters from the bond lore Mm -hmm. who did you think all of those people were did you ever like do research to figure out who they were or did you just think they were like made up for the game or like what what was your context of for like jaws and odd job and and people like that i think if i remember right because i don't have super vivid memories of it in a lot of ways it wasn't a game that deeply resonated with me it was more like i did it to hang out with my friends type of thing it wasn't a game i particularly loved um but i do it, it i do have memories of it and i think i was told like if i said like, why does that guy have that hat someone was like oh it's odd job is this one of the characters of the movies or something like that so i think i had some of that background and then a few years down the line when austin powers started trickling in and there was a lot of sort of spoofs and references to bond things i picked up a lot of the things like that too like odd job throwing his shoe and all that sort of you know whatever the the well, his hat in the movie in, in goldfinger yeah, yeah. but yeah but um oh does he really throw the shoe in goldfinger he throws his hat yeah that's right he throws his hat that's what yeah it is. But, yeah but in, yeah. in 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 uh austin powers it's the shoe it's the shoe yeah so i really kind of came to bond in like a backwards direction like video game austin powers were really my biggest sort of connections to it and then i would go towards like the twilight of pierce brosman's run i would go to the theater and see those with my like high school buddies and middle school buddies and did you what did you see like the world is not enough and die another day yeah what's the one that halle berry's in Die, die another day Dino the day I saw in theaters, and then the one after, I remember there's well like after a, that is is Casino Royale. Oh, okay, so the one before that, there's one with like yeah. a space laser shooting up Arctic ice, and he's driving his Aston Martin away from it. No, I that's that still scene. die another day. <laughs> oh, that's still die another day. Yeah. Well, I've seen, I've seen, I had seen at that point three Brosnans or so, and then Casino Royale came out. And that really slapped me across the face. And I was like, this movie is awesome. And I always liked Pierce as Bond. And I think I had seen one or two Conneries in like high school for a movie class or something. But 
I really loved Daniel Craig's take on the character and he really resonated with me. I was like, holy shit, this guy's awesome. He's like rough and tumble. He's he's a little more emotional, fragile in some ways. And and I really, I really liked him. And I've been a fan of all of Daniel Craig's as Bonds, even some of the ones that get trashed on. Like a lot of times people talk about uh, the second of his. I can't remember his name. Quantum right of now. Solace. Quantum of Solace. And every, I remember that came out and everyone was bashing it. I was like, I liked it. I thought it was good. It's it's better than I than I, I didn't love it when it first came out. I, I've I've grown to like that a little bit more. It's still pretty low on my list of, of yeah. Bond movies, but uh but I, I love all Bond, so that's yeah. not saying much. But so for me, Daniel Craig was my Bond. I've always thought or I think he's the best. He's he's my favorite, I should say. Um, I would challenge you to, to explore more bond because, uh, quite honestly, like I have one of the rare opinions for our generation, which is that, uh, most of the, the Craig bonds for me are not true to, to bond as an ethos. Like, like Mm -hmm. what I want out of my James Bond movies, I don't always get out of the the Craig bonds. Um, I really, really loved no time to die. I thought that was great. Um, and, and I think got way closer to to capturing like what I really enjoy about the series. Um Casino Royale is my all-time favorite Bond though, that being said. That movie's um, incredible. I, it's it's just a brilliant brilliant It's a perfect movie. action movie. Yeah. It's awesome. And and here's the thing, I mean what what we'll get to as we kind of talk about Bond as a series is the thing that I love about Bond is the way that it iterates on itself and it it repeats itself it does the same things over and over again and just kind of does new twists on them and it's 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 a the 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 thing with bond is is like the cyclicality of it and how it always like comes back on itself it's really like that's what i love about it yeah and casino royale does that in spades like it's awesome nice card reference with spades well done hey so yeah not a i'm not a bond super fan at all but I do really dig the How many Craig would you ones. say you've seen of them uh, out of the 25 in the, in the actual like true series? So there's what, five? There's five Craigs? There five are Craig? four? I believe five. Yeah, let's see. Uh, no Time to Die, uh, Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, Spectre, um, Skyfall. Skyfall, yeah. I think I that's think, it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, I've seen all of those. I've seen, I've seen two or three Brosnans. And I've seen one or two Conrays, but that's it. I've never seen a Timothy Dalton. I've never seen, certainly had never seen a Lazenby and had not seen any of the other old school ones, really. So I think that's what one thing that's really fascinating to me about Bond is, in my opinion, it is the series that has the most subjective rankings ever. Everyone's list of favorite Bond movies, if you've seen all of them, is completely different than everyone else's because everyone mm. like latches on to different characteristics of Bond, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, from one list to the next, some someone's, you know, one is another person's 25. Um, right. And, you know, some of the stuff that I love about Bond are not things that other people rate highly. And so they put stuff lower. But you know, for me, like my all-time bonds, like the quintessential ones for me are Casino Royale, Goldfinger, um, You Only Live Twice, and The Spy Who Loved Me. Now, a lot of people would say You Only Live Twice is one of the worst of the series. But like to me, like that is 
one of my all-time favorites. I grew up on that shit. I I know it's racist as shit through large parts of it, but it's from a spectacle standpoint and from a campy, you know, goofiness uh, standpoint, it is everything I want from Bond. And mm. uh, you only live twice is the the movie that inspired Austin Powers the most. Like it's really it's even more than this. Way more, way more. Wow. Um, I mean, this movie definitely inspired it quite a bit as well. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll get to inspirations. Actually, we should add that to the uh, the agenda here because mm-hmm. I think there's so many th- movies that are referencing this. Definitely, yeah. And this one specifically. So those last two that you mentioned, You Only Live Twice and The Spy Who Loved Me, mm-hmm. those two I have not seen. The, other, the others that you mentioned I have. How, who's your favorite Bond overall, I guess? Is it, is it the easy answer? I think, I mean, I, I think if I had to, if I had to pick, I'd probably go with Connery, but it's a flip of the coin with Roger Moore for me. I really? find I find Roger Moore's movies so, and even though I only rate a couple of them like super highly like his movies are just the most fun to me they are Mm. so goofy and so trend chasey and lame at times but in the best possible way and roger moore is like by far the like kindest bond like he's very like gentle you know (laughs) like Mm -hmm. compared to all the other ones and it's just a very like different energy to the the rest of the series um it's it's the the point in time where they were the most lost from a like ideas perspective, but it produced the weirdest movies by far. Mm. Well, spoiler alert, I, I I overall quite dug this movie. So with that in mind, it's triggered in me like I want to see more Bond. So I just wanted to ask you right quick, and we might cut this, but where should I start with Roger Moore? What's your favorite? Because I've never seen a Roger Moore Bond. And I, I would start him. with The Spy Who Loved Me. Um, Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, that that movie to me is top to bottom the best of his his run. That's his Casino Royale. Like it's it's um, it's the best in terms of it. It's hitting all the marks of what I want out of a Bond movie. It's a giant, you know, villain lair. It's a huge, you know, global annihilation plot. It's you know, mm-hmm. um, giant sets with huge explosions and stuff. Like it's like like that kind of stuff, which is what yeah. I just love about Bond. Dude, one of the things I really loved about Casino Royale was how realistic the threat seemed. Mm-hmm. Like this, the whole the whole idea of this investor who's trying to intentionally bomb an airline to make the price tank and and reap the rewards. Like that's just something I can just buy. That's just something I can believe. And I really liked those sorts of Bond stories. You know, I can appreciate too what you're saying, the big ones, the ones that are layers Spectacle. and absurd. Yeah. There's also and and I like that it, the the whole series goes in a lot of different directions and you can have complete campy like space lasers and you can have an investor trying to blow up a a plane to tank the stock price. Yep. So it's cool and you can kind of choose which ones you like. So it makes sense what you're saying that no two Bond fans will have the same list. No, not at all. Um, if I can give you two other recommendations, sure. because I want to, I want you to get two other layers to Bond. So the one that people always overlook that I, I always stand for is uh, The Living Daylights, which is mm-hmm. uh, Timothy Dalton's debut. That movie to me, it's it's bloated as fuck, and that's like one of the major characteristics of of James Bond movies is they're all bloated. 
This um, one's got some bloat on it for oh, sure. Oh, for sure. Like <laughs> Two there, and a half hours. There is some fat on this baby. Yeah. Bloat. <laughs> but uh, the Living Daylights is is much the same. Like, it's two and a half hours. It's ridiculous. It should not be that long. But it has the best uh, Aston Martin of the series by far, in my opinion. Um, Old Timothy statement. Dalton is doing kind of a similar thing to what Craig is doing in Casino Royale. He's coming with a lot of you know, gravitas and, and, uh, like brute force, you know? Um, and I don't know. I, I think that movie gets overlooked. There are some stunts at the end of that movie that are some of the best I've ever seen on screen. I'm looking forward to it. And I've never seen a Dalton one. I think I mentioned that, but I haven't seen a Dalton or a more. Um, okay. The and then the other one that I wanted to recommend is from Russia with love. If you've never mm-hmm. seen that. I don't believe I have. From Russia with Love is again like kind of in the Casino Royale vein. That's where I'm going with this is like I, I want you to kind of get the other parts of the series that are tapping into that vein. Mm-hmm. Um, but From Russia with Love is just like an old school spy thriller. Like it, mm. it's very low, like lower stakes, you know, just kind of espionage uh, stuff, you know, people trying to like poison each other. And like, you know, I, it's, it's just it's, it's very like small scale. And Robert Shaw from uh, Taking of Pelham 123 is the big henchman that he fights, and there's a train fight that is fucking awesome. All right, say no more. I mean, Robert Shaw is definitely in the kennel for me. I love Robert Shaw. I, I, yeah, he's, and this is one of his, his like signature roles. He's the heavy in this movie. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So, anyway, I, yeah, give, give, give those a try. Tell me what you think, and, uh, and, you know. I'll, I'll have, tell you what to layer on from there. I have one more. This one might be impossible to get an answer for. But first of all, have they announced the new Bond post Craig, who that's going to be yet? I don't believe they no. have. No. Okay. Um, which is good because really it was just in theaters less than a year ago. So like, let's, let's give it some time to breathe. Let, you know, all that stuff. Daniel Craig was... A, whether he's one, two, or three on anyone's list, he was a remarkable Bond. And I think perfect for our generation. If the next series comes around, whoever plays it, and if it took a turn into going back towards more over-the-top style Bond, maybe maybe getting a little less realistic, would you would you welcome that? Would you be nervous? I would welcome that. It's it's what I've been wanting from Bond for a while now, and it's why I liked No Time to Die the most uh, out of the post Casino Royale era of of Craig. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. <laughs> I might I might get some hate for this, but I personally despise Skyfall at this point. As I've gained my like knowledge of the greater Bond context, mm-hmm. um, I I think that that movie shits on a lot of the legacy of Bond, and it, and it's not like what I want out of you know my Bond. Really, I don't I don't like the uh, the over artification, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> of it. I don't a little know. too artsy fartsy. Yeah, it's just like Sam Mendes is making a, you know, a Sam Mendes movie. And it's like, that's, that's fine. But like, that's not what I want. I want to, I fucking like, you know, completely managed director, like, you know, John Glenn, you know, when he was directing movies in this series where it's, he's just a journeyman who is coming in to helm the wheel, you know, like (laughs) it's just, he's, he can stabilize this whole set and that's really all he's there to do. Uh, like I just want bond to be kind of like 
this weird, you know, anomalous thing uh, as opposed to like trying to be higher art than that. Yeah, I think I think I would agree with you that I I would also welcome a, a return to a slightly more absurd. Like, obviously, I love the Daniel Craig ones, but I think it would be a nice uh, zig and zag. Like, oh, with the new Bond, maybe let's go a little more light, a little more off the wall a little bit. You know, that might be better, too. So we'll no, see. It, Whatever think, they choose to do with it, I'll be excited to check it out. I, I want, like, color. I want, like, you know, um, excitement. Like, I want kind of like a James Gunny energy, but without the, like, you know, sarcastic attitude, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like, in terms of just, like, the I, like the vibrancy of the worlds that he creates, like, that's yeah. kind of what I want from from Bond going forward. Um, and, and that's, again, like, that's why I kind of like No Time to Die. It got back to being a little goofy. You think so? In a little bit, know. in I a little ways. I mean, it, it was definitely dark as hell, like, at times, too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it ends with, spoiler alert, him dying. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I think it, it has a playful attitude to it that the series had been missing for a little while. Yeah. As we kind of springboard into this one specifically i do have one question i want to ask you and as a, as a bond super fan you might know the answer do you remember if any other bonds when they transitioned away from one bond into the next did they give any sort of line of dialogue or or do anything like this film does to say that we get it it's a different guy now and we all have to play along is this the only one that you can think of that does that look this move th- this series is so fucking weird. It has so many in jokes and and like like there's the intro of for your eyes only is literally only there to be a giant middle finger to Kevin McClory who was feuding with uh Cubby Broccoli at the time. Like it's it's there is spiteful shit, there is like weird in jokes. Like it, it's it this series is full of that kind of stuff. So like no, the answer is no. They, they, I don't think they've broken the fourth wall this way in like the rest of the series. I can't remember them doing that anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, it feels of a piece with that. I guess is what I'm saying. Like if it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel out of place. I kind of dug that, by the way. I dug that they just were like, I bet whatever he says. I think it's a. I don't think this happened. I bet this never happened to the other guy. He says yeah. something like that. He says the other fella. He, he the lets other the fella. Aussie come through a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and I, <laughs> I, I kind of dug it. I, and, and I guess especially I had, a the, I had a feeling, but I didn't know this for a fact until after, that this was the first time that the world was experiencing a new Bond. Yeah. Up to that point, it had only been Sean Connery. No, right. I mean, it's, it's kind of like imagine if... Um, I mean, they're filming another Indiana Jones, or I think they just finished filming another Indiana Jones movie. And if they were to recast Indiana Jones and just continue yeah. doing them like nothing happened, that would be kind of the, the same sort of deal here. This was an iconic blockbuster character that was like on posters everywhere. Like, like this global was sensation. Huge, huge. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is weird to just throw this new guy in. And we'll get to the context on who George Lazenby is and how he got this job, but it's fucking fascinating. Um, um, first, I know though, nothing about it. I'm excited to get there. First, though, I want to talk about the core elements of Bond because I think that'll lead into our general reactions because I want to set the stage here to, to color everything. So Love it. 
the core elements of Bond, in my mind at least, feel free to disagree and uh, hit us up on dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. Um, the core elements of Bond to me are bloat, as I've mentioned, <laughs> um, corniness, horniness, big action, dastardly villain plots, big layers, gadgets, Aston Martins, and like just, you know, trend chasing and iterating on the same concepts over and over again. So we'll get to some of that stuff. But like those are in my mind kind of like what you expect out of a Bond movie. And going rogue, I would think, based on the ones I've seen. Like, like no, Bond. that's not that's not no. always true. He, I mean, most of the time he's getting a mission from M and is like just doing the job. I got you. Yeah. Um, I mean, he he does have a roguish attitude, so he does go, you know off the beaten path per se, uh, yeah, at yeah. times, but yeah. Anyway. Um, all right, let's get to our general reactions. What was your reaction to this movie as kind of a, a newbie to bond in some ways? Really mixed bag, but I think it's kind of supposed to be like, there was plenty of times where I was rolling my eyes at this movie and there are some technical issues that kind of got in the way of me enjoying the film. Obviously, cutting it a lot of slack, considering this movie came out in 69, and it's, you know, it's an old movie. When, it, when you see an old action film, specifically, I think you really got to give it a long leash. It's like, well, they're just really trying to capture these images the old-fashioned way, so just let it, let it be. But there were still some problems I had there, but it was a lot of fun. I definitely thought it was about... 30 minutes too long and could have been trimmed down speaking to the bloat that you mentioned for sure definitely but i really did have fun i thought this was a tremendous bond girl i thought she was really interesting although i did have some annoyances with her character's kind of trajectory and her ups and downs frustrated me hmm. um but i i liked the performance a lot that was more a writing thing it had nothing to do with the performance i was just like what the hell but uh anyway she was great. I really like Lazenby as Bond. Like, I don't really understand a lot of the uproar. I think he was fine. He looked the part. Kind of had a little bit of like a Clive Owen sort of vibe and look to him. And some great action scenes. Some really beautiful shots. Kind of peppered through it. And some really impressive beautiful things. Movie. But also a lot of stuff where it's like, oh my God. But that saying, oh my God, like that, I can't help but smile. And it's like, it's part of the experience, I think. It's yeah, part of it is. seeing a Bond movie. Like, you're not supposed to go into it, arms crossed, kind of looking, pick it apart. You're supposed to just, like, take the good with the bad and enjoy a nice, big, fat block of cheese and just roll with the film. And for the most part, I did. The bad I, is good in Bond, in my opinion. So you like the bad. I you love like the, the bad. bad Bond. Yeah. I'm yeah, actually guess, a big fan of stuff like A View to a Kill, like which is a lot of people consider the worst Bond ever. <laughs> like I think I, that movie's great. I think this might be a fun conversation because we're coming at this film from totally different perspectives. You you kind of knowing the series inside out to a degree, and me really just being like the Daniel Craig section is what I know, and that's what I've grown to like. So seeing kind of some of the more amplified goofiness, while not bad, and I did like it, and I do recognize that it is a hallmark of past Bonds. Um, it's just different. We'll, we'll be looking at this movie differently, which I'm looking. No, yeah, to. absolutely. That's I'm I'm excited to yeah. get uh, further into it. But yeah, no, I my you know my reactions as uh, this being the last one to check off my list. I mean, I had a great time with this movie. Um, it it already is in my top ten Bonds for sure. Um, 
I actually had the opposite reaction uh, in terms of Lazenby. I think he's awful. I, I really, I, I thought he was terrible in this movie. Really, um, I think he's got the great, the right presence, and he's great in like action scenes and like um, just anything physical. He's he's great at um, anything that requires acting. He's he's you know completely out of his element, and you'll know why when we get to that. <laughs> uh, but that being said. Uh, Diana Rigg is absolutely stunning in this movie. Just Good one of Lord, the one ever. of the best performances we've seen on this show, in my opinion. And like in terms of whoa, just I'm just saying, like I think in these kind of movies to do what she's doing is so impressive. You know, I and and I would say the same of like Ava Green as Vesper Lind in, in Casino Royale. That is a brilliant performance. Like like what she's doing yeah. in that movie is like there's an energy to those characters that is, is that's movie star shit, you know? Yeah. 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 I love the Vesper Lind Casino Royale performance. I think it's like, I mean, who knows how it will age? Like maybe in 30 years, it won't look great. I don't know. But like this performance, even though I really dug it, the performance by Diana Rigg, like the, you can see the sixties ish dame idea poking through sometimes and sometimes not, which is really cool. And what I like what about do, what do you character, mean by that? I guess like, um, her kind of, uh, I'm trying to find the right words for it. Um, like a lot of their sequences of them starting to develop chemistry and fall in love just kind of felt very much of their time in a lot of ways. Whereas mm. when we first get introduced to the character, I was like, Oh, this chick's awesome. She's like unpredictable. Like she's, she's, she doesn't seek assistance. She doesn't want help. And she's really kind of independent and a little, a little nutty. And I was like, yeah. this is cool. This is a really cool character. Yeah. And then when like the marriage is proposed and they're starting their courtship together before he goes to Switzerland, that's when I was like, ah, it's just well, like, I'm not no, buying I'm this romance. There, but I think what saves yeah. that is that she and and don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a scene late in the movie where she gets knocked out by her dad to like <laughs> do what he face. wants her to do. So like it's, it's in terms for her of, safety, Drew. In terms of gender politics, this movie is not you know it's not hitting the mark. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to defend it yeah. in that way. But I think what's important to to understand about this character in the greater context of Bond is that generally speaking, the Bond girls are um, more props than anything. You know. Yeah. They're they're being used as you know both uh, for you know their their beauty as well as uh, just to be something for Bond to, to have to protect and save you know some they're mm -hmm. they're a damsel in distress and like yeah. the running the running joke in the Bond series is every time they make a new movie uh, they say this Bond girl is is different than the rest she's she's you know strong and powerful and you know carries mm -hmm. herself and you know whatever like. It's always bullshit in in yeah. like the majority of of Bond movies. What's interesting in this movie is that this character is driving the arc of of Bond in a in a way that is is not seen in in most of the other movies. Yeah, I really liked I really liked her performance. The issue I had, as mentioned, was some of the writing stuff and like the way they kind of shoehorned in the romance. I was like, I didn't buy, but. The way they bring her into the story and just, uh, there's something that I love seeing. It's, it's when, Bond, when Bond girls, quote unquote, 
go toe to toe with James Bond mm-hmm. and knock him like just in terms of verbally like jousting and they knock him on his heels because James Bond, whoever's playing him is this very suave ladies man who's like an unstoppable like sexual force or whatever you want to say. <laughs> so it's all like just someone who just is just a knockout. But it's always so exciting to see someone not fall for it and push back and be able to keep Bond off kilter. That's one of the right. things I adore about the Vesper Lynn performance, especially as, as the movie unfolds and you get more and more into what she's going through in terms of the upcoming double cross and her emotional difficulty with that. So the performance, I think, is staggering. But I agree that this one's really good, too, like because she does that sort of thing. She she. Their first interactions, she's not just falling for this guy. She's kind of keeping him at a distance and keeping him off balance. And I just like seeing that stuff from a from a Bond girl. Yeah. And I mean, like, I, I also think it's cool that, you know, he's also attracted to her because she's saving him, you know, and like mm-hmm. there's a there's a distinct moment in this movie that's pretty unique in the Bond series, too, where he's being pursued by Irma Bunt and it's a moment that's unique in the greater context of Bond because it's a rare time where he is genuinely afraid. Like he's showing real fear. It's actually my favorite part of the Lazenby performance, the whole movie, is that when he like he thinks he's going to get actually caught at that point. And you can see it on his face and he's, you know, getting startled by that weird polar bear with the camera or whatever the fuck that is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that that sequence. Absolutely. And then and then that's when Diana Rigg, you know, happens upon upon him at the skating rink and mm-hmm. saves him. And it's like that that's I think that's really sexy. That's like like that's yeah, what that's he's true. falling for, you know? That's cool. Yeah. No, I like that too. Yeah. And speaking to her strength as well, like like I agree, like she does have that kind of moment where she swoops in and she's great behind the wheel, but she also like fights someone off on her own. Like, you know, there's she's having that tussle with one of the henchmen towards the end of the film and I'm just thinking like, okay, when is uh, James going to come in and save the day? It's two of them. Like, it's two henchmen. Two of them. Oh, she, she knocks the first one out and then she's That's fighting right, the one with the, with the glass bottle. Yeah. Because I was thinking of the guy that she threw against the spikes at the end, which yeah, is pretty Which badass. is awesome. Finally, who knows why there were spikes on that wall? I guess why not? <laughs> but uh, they looked like they were designed to be part of, you know, I'm sure it was structural related. Sure. But um, yeah. But yeah, so it's like, oh, this is cool. Like she's, she is again self sufficient. She can get herself out of jams. She doesn't need Superman all the time. And that's uh, something I really responded to and I lo- and something I really liked about the performance. And she is just gorgeous. Such a such a beautiful person, too. So uh, totally uh, magnetic and electric on camera and uh, just looked great and was, yeah. was super dope, I thought. I want to talk about George Lazenby, but I, that kind of folds into just the greater, you know, story of how this movie was made. So mm-hmm. let's like. I want to talk about how George Lazenby got this job. Um, so you have no idea about this whole story, right? I know one thing. I know he was not an actor. Yeah. And I know, uh, I heard somewhere that he kind of scammed his way into it, but I don't know any details outside of that. Okay. There's a movie on Hulu called Becoming Bond, which is a documentary about George Lazenby. And he kind of tells his own story of, of how this happened. Um, whether or not he's an unreliable narrator, I don't know. I mean, this guy has some truly like insane stories, but 
doesn't sound all that outlandish to me. Um, but the way that George Lazenby found his way to Bond is crazy. He started out as a male model in the 50s. Um, he just started, you know, kind of getting like some print ads and stuff. It was just something that he could do. He fa- had found his way to Europe from Australia um, and was was doing the male modeling gig. He got a couple of commercials. Um, there's a few that you can like look up on on probably on YouTube. I haven't I haven't done the, the looking myself, but they show them in the movie. Um, there's some commercials of him just being like, you know, big burly man, like, you know, with, with all these beautiful women and, you know, it's, it, so he kind of had a little bit of a persona about him that, uh, already felt a little bondy in that way. Um, but he was just kind of like, you know, bouncing around, not really doing much. He found his way to bond because there was a casting call for the new bond after Sean Connery quit the series. Um, I don't know how much you know about the Sean Connery run, but towards the end, he was phoning it in. He like had no interest in being Bond anymore. After about the third one, he was just like, dude, I'm out. Like, I don't want this anymore. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, he's totally phoning it in and you only live twice. And that's the end of his contract. And he refuses to sign a new one. So they go on this, you know, big casting search. It takes three years from the last movie to get this one made, which is pretty long in, at that time. At that time, they were pumping out like one of these a year. Mm-hmm. There was an open casting call. So George Lazenby shows up. Uh, by his accounting, he looked like he, everyone around him was in a tuxedo. He shows up in like, you know, not that at all. Um, <laughs> looks not, not the part at all. He leaves, he, go, he realizes that, uh, Sean Connery's tailor was up the street. So he goes to Sean Connery's tailor and he's like, I need to buy a suit exactly like Sean Connery's suit. The guy says, no, I, like, I can't do that. It's like, I can't make it in this time. Uh, but he points to a suit over on the seat. He's like, what's that suit over there? Can I get that? He's like, well, that's actually Sean Connery's suit. He ordered it months ago and just hasn't come to pick it up. So he distracts this shopkeeper and steals Sean Connery's suit puts it on holy shit goes Has back this been to confirmed the, by anyone else or is this still just him i i want to i mean cubby or, or the broccoli family has not refuted it we'll say that okay. and they definitely would have like if if this was all fake and the broccoli family is they're the tailors or they're so cubby else? broccoli is uh the kind of patriarch of the the broccoli family he's the one who had the rights to Ian Fleming's uh, Bond oh, gotcha. novels and, you know, produced the, it's Eon Productions is, is their company. Um, but currently, Barbara Broccoli and her, bro- or her stepbrother, um, uh, Michael G. Wilson, run, run Eon, and they kind of, you know, take turns kind of handling the Bond series, basically. It's more, it's more Bar- Barbara Broccoli at this point than anything, but she's the uh, Cubby Broccoli's daughter. Mm-hmm. Anyway... So he puts on this suit, he goes back to the, the uh, open casting call, and he distracts the receptionist, and uh, he just runs past her, he runs up the stairs, he goes to the casting director's office, completely interrupts him in the middle of a phone conversation, and stands there and he says, I heard you're looking for James Bond. The guy says, come with me, takes him across the street to, to go to Harry Saltzman, one of the, the producers of the movie. Um, they just agree that he just has the energy. Then they're like, let's, let's put this person to the test and see what happens. They go through a ton of screen tests and shit. They finally give him the job, but essentially he 
first of all, he wasn't in the Screen Actors Guild or, or the British Actors Guild, whatever it was at the time. He lied about that. He like lied about a bunch of shit. He just like completely conned his way into this job. Mm. He had never been in a movie before. He had never been in any television show. This was his <laughs> only acting job ever at that point. And he scored one of the biggest roles in movie history. It's insane. It's nuts. That is that is completely insane. Yes. So that's how he got the job. Now, you liked this performance. Tell me what you you yeah. enjoyed about it. I mean, it was stiff. Like it wasn't it wasn't amazing. And I agree with the criticism you said, like when he's supposed to be getting emotional, he's not really buying it. But the things I have grown to expect that a little bit from some of the older Bonds. A certain amount of stiffness and rigidity, certainly because of, say, maybe the acting styles of the time, but also the character Bond of the time was really, and, and consistently based on the ones I've seen, not a very emotional person. It's normally very reserved, and I think you can find stiffness there just through the character. So that, that can be okay. And I really did like the way he moved. Like, I thought he had a good sort of kinetic energy about him that fit the character or how I see him, but was different. He was different. <laughs> and so I, I agree. Like I wasn't overwhelmed by the acting. I don't think it was like an amazing performance, but I bought him his bond. He looked like bond. He moved like bond. And I, I, so I, I didn't have an issue with it, you know? No, I, I mean, it was, certainly I it was solid. Certainly from a physical standpoint, he looks, he moves like bond, like it all, it all fits. Um, and I would have been very interested to see what his bond would become if he had continued on. They offered mm -hmm. him a six-picture deal at the end of this movie, and he turned it down. And the reason at the time, uh, by all accounts, was that he had like some friend who was who had convinced him that Bond was uh, was stodgy and stiff and and old school, and that he needed to do something new school and like that this was just not for him. And he got really like weird and, and standoffish in the press tour for this movie. He like grew a beard against Cubby Broccoli's wishes and, and uh, like, like the Broccoli's were like, do not come to the premiere with a beard. Like if you have a beard, you're not welcome at the premiere. And he showed up at the premiere with a beard anyway. Like he was doing shit like that to piss them off. <laughs> showed up to the premiere with a beard. <laughs> it, yeah. Uh, but he, you know, so he, I think he just like, he thought it wasn't like the cool thing to do at the time. And he thought he could leverage that into a bigger career and the career didn't really pan out. It ended up that he like got into real estate. Like he ended up having a like successful career out, like, outside of acting um he still did some like acting on the side as well but uh but no i mean like it, it's just a fascinating story of like this this guy who conned his way into this job and but i i think like for me like it, it shows I'm that he's not an actor like it's very obvious to me that he's not an actor when i watch this movie i think that's what i don't like about it like you you see the veneer of of that and mm. to me like say what you will about the acting overall but like I, there is an energy to Sean Connery and, and Roger Moore that, again, is that movie star quality. And I don't mm -hmm. get that from Lazenby. Yeah, I think I agree. I don't think I was like, I, don't, I didn't find him, like, my eyes drawn to him. You know, like, like when we get those big stars, you just can't help but, like, you know, you're just watching them. 
great actors, big stars, they all have that sort of quality where you just want to to keep an eye on them, you know? Mm-hmm. So I agree. I didn't really feel that way about this. Um, yeah, it's just, I'm fascinated by the fact that they offered him a six-picture deal. I'm just kind of drinking that in after you said it. And to I thought the this movie wasn't perceived well. I'm surprised that they would even want to... Ke- I assumed they kicked him out. Like, I assumed they was like, well, that didn't work. Let's find a new guy. No, they they were willing to keep going with it. Um, I think to them, it was... Well, first of all, like, even though this movie wasn't well-received, it was hugely successful. I mean, it was one of the, mm-hmm. the highest-grossing movies of the, uh, of the year. Um, okay. It just, by their standards, was a little underwhelming. And they... I think... The one thing that you can say about uh, the Bond producers is they give their actors a long leash. They are willing to go for multiple movies, even if it's not working. Um, you know, Timothy Dalton's run, like, he, the only reason that that didn't continue is because he didn't want to. It, it had nothing to do with the, the, uh, them not wanting him back. So like, it's, it's, it's a, never been a situation where they've kicked an actor out, really. The, there's... The, there Except seems kind to of be, Brosnan, but that's that's a different story. There seems to be a fascinating tension with people, or many of the people who have taken on the Bond role, where it's kind of, there's a concern that it'll just swallow your career whole, mm-hmm. and you just will not be able to not be seen as Bond. To be fair, at that time, it kind of did. So yeah. like, like Lazen, Lazenby's deal, part of that deal were, were stipulations around what kind of roles he could take outside of Bond, mm-hmm. you know? So it was like there, there were controlling aspects to it. And it's why Sean Connery wanted the fuck out of the series, because yeah. it limited so much of what he could do. Well, I remember when there was a lot of buzz about, like, there's a lot of conversation about who was going to replace Craig. It was before... Uh, was it No Time to Die? Is that the, the, the final most one? recent one? Yeah. 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 It was before that had come out, but there was everyone was always thinking we everyone knew it was going to be Craig's last. So the blogs were lighting up with with theories <laughs> and who it might be. But there were all these snippets of people who like were rumored, but then they were quoted as like many of them turning it down. They were like, I don't I don't want to be pigeonholed. I think there's a fear about taking that character on and that it'll lead to you potentially being typecasted or only playing suave people or whatever, you know? I think, I want to say it was Idris Elba who said that. This was yeah. when he was a little bit younger, which which I would have loved him as Bond. I, th- I, th- I would have thought he would be fantastic. But, um, you know, he's, he's a little too old for it now and doesn't want to do it, more importantly. Uh, but, so yeah, it does seem to be people are very wary about this character in mm-hmm. terms of, like, what it does to how they're perceived as a, as a human being and as an actor. It can really define you. It can really define you. And like, you know, it's why you see Daniel Craig veering so hard away from Bond when he's not doing Bond. You know, when you think about like Knives Out or uh, Logan Lucky, things like that, like he's, he's trying to do as much distance from Bond as he can get, I feel like most of the time. I'm very happy that just based on my perception anyway, he has, Daniel Craig has totally avoided that pitfall. He's, I think he's a stupendous Bond, but I don't view him as Bond. When he shows right. up in Knives Out, when he shows up in Logan Lucky, like you're saying, and even when I go back and see performances of his from before he was Bond, mm-hmm. you know, things like Road to Perdition and things like that, like he, it doesn't stick to him, I don't think. No. Like he's, he's always, uh, you know, charming and get, delivering great performances and stuff, but, he 
He is not Bond. He is He's his kind own of actor. the only one to be able to do that, though, which is why mm-hmm. it's it's you know people have that reticence. You know, like yeah. Roger Moore did not have a larger movie career outside of Bond. Yeah. Um, Timothy Dalton, his career halted as soon as Bond came out. Um, I mean, he still got a lot of work later on, and he's now like become a really interesting actor in his later career. I feel like, but you yeah. know, from like Hot Fuzz onward. But um, so he is so hysterical in Hot Fuzz. Yeah, um, so fucking funny. But it's just like you know, Bond is not a pathway to greater success outside of Bond, generally speaking. Yeah, yeah I think it's kind of restrictive, and I think a lot of actors, you know being considered for the role are, are are wary of that because it is so iconic. You're following in all these great actors' footsteps. And I will say, I think Connery dodged it a bit in his kind of later in life renaissance that he had in like the you're 90s right, and you're 2000s. Right. No, I, I shouldn't when have his, said that Craig was When his one. look changed, when he became kind of the older but still very handsome kind of Scottish guy um, and did movies like... Finding Forrester... Uh, yes, Finding Forrester. I'm a, I'm a sucker for that movie, man. I haven't seen it since I was a the kid. The Untouchables, he's incredible yeah. in. Yeah, but, but he didn't. He doesn't have that look anymore. You know, he looks like a oh. different person. You want to know my favorite though? What's that? The Hunt for Red October. Oh my god, that I love that rules. movie. I my favorite submarine movie by far, closely followed by Das Boot. But Hunt for Red October is sick, and I'm and actually he's due to so it. good in it. Dude, how about even that? though he's not doing a Russian accent whatsoever? <laughs> no, he shouldn't be. I'd hate. We want to see Sean Connery, <laughs> but that movie does that dope thing where they zoom into the glass and zoom out, and the language changes. What a great decision! Yep, to do that. And Sam Neill under fucking rated in that movie. He is fantastic in that flick. When is he bad? Sam Neill is one of the greatest. Oh, I actually wanted to say, could you be? More specific, if if are there scenes that you think of with Laserbee's performance in this where you're like, ugh. Well, I mean, no. the biggest one is is the ending. I mean, uh, you oh, know, the the finale of this movie is one of the most depressing endings of any movie, like you know, Bond or not. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, you you see Bond marry Tracy. Uh, it's the only time in the entire series where Bond gets married, uh, other than I guess. Uh, no time to die. Don't do they get married in that? I forget. I forget as well. I don't think so. Eh, and they they because it starts with them kind of gallivanting together, but then there's that explosion at the cemetery, and then he goes back and she escapes on the train. But then they're not reunited until later, and you realize he has a daughter and all this stuff. Mm. Um, so I don't think they ever got married unless they were married at the start of the film. But yeah. I don't believe that they were. Yeah. Well, either way, I, I think it, I'm pretty sure it's the only time that he's he's married at any point. Um, there are other movies that actually reference Tracy. Um, really? That's yeah. Cool. So uh, like in For Your Eyes Only, the one that I mentioned earlier that was uh, the intro was just a giant fuck you. Um, that one, the beginning beginning of that intro starts with Bond standing at Tracy's grave. Hmm. And uh, goes from there into an action scene where he's fighting Blofeld. Uh, and then he drops Blofeld from a helicopter down a, uh, a chimney. <laughs> that a giant smokestack. So does this movie directly follow the one we're watching then? No. So it's, it's 12 years later, I want to say. It's uh, oh, Jesus. 1983. No, 1981 was for mm. your eyes only. But it's interesting. So another cons- uh, thing with Bond is that 
a lot of the times there are like remakes of Bond movies within the series. So like mm-hmm. this movie and For Your Eyes Only kind of are talking with each other. They have very similar finales. They have very similar kind of setups in general. Um, you know, For Your Eyes Only is one of the darker Roger Moore uh, iterations. There's a bobsled chase uh, in it at oh, one point. Okay. Uh, or not a bobsled chase. It's a skier going down a bobsled run, um, which is actually an incredible freaking stunt. I don't know how they pull it off. Um, but there's, you know, so there's a ton of like ski chases in that movie. There's a lot of like talking within between those two movies. Hmm. Other ones that do that. Um, so <laughs> the cr- the craziest one is they've basically made the same movie three times. You're on, you Only Live Twice, The Spy Who Loved Me, and Moonraker, which came out only two years after The Spy Who Loved Me. They're all basically the same movie in structure and, and how like what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really fascinating to see that in this series. You know, like I just I, I, I like that they do the same concepts and they just do them slightly different. I don't know. It's fun. Mm-hmm. It is fun. I, I, I totally agree that his emotional breakdown after she gets shot, which is a gut oh, I'm sorry. punch of an that ending. Was, that was what we were talking about. Yeah. I went on a whole fucking run. <laughs> um, yes, no, but that scene, he, he I, to me, like any soft. other Bond actor would have crushed that scene compared to him. Yeah, he, he's really not good in that scene. And again, I don't know. I felt it coming. I felt something ominous was in the works. I thought there was going to be like a car bomb. When they go to drive off, kind of like in a Godfather type uh, situation, you know. Mm-hmm. I, but I just had this ominous sense that this was not going to work out, um, and also kind of surprising that he just left Blofeld with his ne- neck in that tree. Just like, well, that's over. Just kind of <laughs> shocking. Um, but yeah, it's a really, it's a really sad ending that gets neutered by a really pretty bad scene by Lazenby. Like he's just not doesn't even look that sad it just is like yeah it's not good and the writing's not good in that scene either yeah no it's it's not really well executed i i I mean it's it's still shocking and like you seeing tracy die is still devastating you know yeah because she's a dope dope and you feel bad about that but like yeah the way he sells it just doesn't land with me at all i mean that's the best example of, of a failure of the performance in my opinion but i mean i think another interesting uh kind of damning thing about the performances uh well i mentioned before he's the only actor ever to be well no i didn't say this lazenby is the only actor who's not from the british isles to play the character so Mm. there's been an irishman there's been uh a scott there's been uh you know different things but he's the only one from australia and mm. to me, that Australian accent peeks through throughout this movie, first of all, which is not necessarily a problem. Like, that, I'm, not, I'm not saying that that's a problem with the performance. But the damning part is that when he has to impersonate a, you know, a frou-frou Englishman, they completely dub his voice with a completely different actor because he mm. can't do it. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense because I did notice a lot of dubbings. And when this conversation got started, I thought, oh, maybe he was kind of like a Putney Swope thing. Maybe he was tripping on his lines if he wasn't a good actor or wasn't an actor at all. Uh, but it sounds like, no, it sounds like he couldn't handle the kind of, whatever that, whatever that character he was playing was. You mean the guy with the glasses, right? When he first shows up at like the, the Yeah, when the he's being facility. hilly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I, yeah. I, I noticed some dubbing going on there, and it's funny that he just 
couldn't swing that. So it's actually the um, the guy dubbing him is the guy who plays the genealogist that he meets with earlier in the movie. <laughs> Who's that genealogist? I can't picture him. Uh, well, just the guy who he's talking to, like when he's uh, he's the guy he's impersonating when he's. Oh, on that mission. I gotcha. Yep, yep. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny that he couldn't handle the accent. We've talked about George Lazenby so far. We've talked about Diana Rigg. Let's talk about Telly Savalas. He plays Hell Blofeld yeah. in this this movie, who is a super. I mean, it's Blofeld is the Joker of the James Bond universe. Like he is the the main antagonist uh, that that James Bond has to go against. So, what did you think of Telly Savalas in this movie as Blofeld? I thought he was fantastic. Nice. He is in the running for one of my favorite Bond villains of all time. I just loved him. It was subtle. It wasn't crazy. Didn't have some weird sort of physical thing going on like so many do. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but this to me was so refreshing. He was just this kind of crazy kingpin-like character, really wealthy, crazy mad scientist, but he was on a very even keel. It was a very measured performance, Mm -hmm. and I love the sound of his voice. He was an in, intimidating and confident, uh, but not obnoxiously so. And I loved his look. I thought he just looked fantastic and really, really liked it. What did you think of it? I thought he was outstanding. Uh, I loved him so in this good. movie. Um, he's not my favorite Blofeld. Now, Blofeld has been played by a lot of different actors at this point. It's almost every movie that he's in, it's a different guy. Uh, mm-hmm. My favorite is from You Only Live Twice because Donald Pleasance plays him, and I love Donald Pleasance. Uh, he's, you would know him as, um, fuck, what's his character, character's name? Anyway, he's the main guy in Halloween other than Jamie Lee Curtis. Okay. Um, oh, he, yeah, he's like the uh, the psychiatrist guy, that, right? Yeah, the doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that's hunting Michael Myers down. He's like, mm-hmm. you know, the one who delivers all the lines of like, you have never seen an evil like this, yeah. <laughs> uh, that kind of guy. Anyway, he plays Blofeld in You Only Live Twice, and that's where Dr. Evil got his like eye scar thing. It's like that. the look of Dr. Evil is literally just Blofeld from You Only Live Twice. Also, I, I thought it was from this, too. Like, his this look too, is really for sure. too. Kind of just the bald. And well, the bald is always outfit. a characteristic of, of Blofeld. That's mm-hmm. always consistent. Well, except for, I guess, not in the Craig ones, right? Doesn't Blofeld, isn't Christopher, the, Christoph Waltz Blofeld? Yeah, yeah, which is yeah. why I, I hate the way they use that character in those movies. <laughs> I like him. I find him menacing. But anyway, neither here nor there. Um, like I said, it's all subjective when it comes to Bond. Yeah, My yuck sure. is someone else's yum. <laughs> There's enough room for everybody in the there is. universe. No, but Telly Savalas is outstanding. I think he has such gravitas every time he's on screen. He like uh, is just the perfect energy for this character. He's intimidating, and you don't always know why. You're just like, I yeah. don't want to be in, like facing this guy. Yeah, and he does that weird thing where he smokes his cigarettes and like I was gonna holds say. them in like an upward direction. Almost <laughs> he like, holds um, it like this. Yeah, he like I've never seen that in a movie before. And it I'm, works. I'm miming it for the, the podcast listeners <laughs> out there. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, I'm trying to it's like if you were uh I don't even know how to how to describe the move, but anyone it's who's the who's weirdest seen the movie knows way to, about. I've ever seen anyone hold a cigarette. I have never in my life or in films seen someone hold a cigarette that way. But it totally works for him because works he does great. this gesture all the time. He's like always yeah. wagging it at people. 
Yeah, and it's it's almost like yeah, it, it adds like there's this like ember in your face because he's pointing at you. With and it. it's it's a great like visual element on screen because it's always got a little sliver of smoke coming out of it. So he's mm-hmm. like waving that around, and it's you know it's like he's almost got like an incense stick, but it's like a menacing tobacco stick. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, like yeah. <laughs> it's weird. He is really really good. And again, I just loved how fucking calm he was, mm-hmm. calm and confident, like like kind of unflappable. Really really cool. Well, and you mentioned his death scene earlier, but uh, as well, the not his death of, scene. What's he that? Well, whoa, excuse me, not yeah. his death scene. Yeah, his his uh, his fake out death scene. But like, <laughs> I will say, even though it's weird that Bond doesn't go back to check on him, uh, at the same time, that is a brutal ass way to go. Second or third most brutal in the film. We'll get to top brutes maybe when we close out the show. Wait, no, we no, all give me know top who's going to win We're number one. We're in it. Give me top brutes. Okay, top brutes. Number two is guy off the cliff. Skier <laughs> off the cliff. The inflatable man that has no the weight to him when he goes down the mountain. <laughs> Who falls for about forty seconds of screen time, just falling. Also, I've never, I never thought if a human being fell from that high that they wouldn't be doing something with their arms. So I was kind of shocked that he was just keeping or that it their together. arm can move like that. At one point, it goes like all the way around, like behind his body. But that one, that one was making me laugh in a good way. I think in a yeah. way that you're supposed to take yeah. some of the cheesiness of Bond, yeah. where like he 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 hits that guy with a ski and he goes flying, he's ah, oh! and then it just cuts to like clearly <laughs> a mannequin falling, and it's just he falls for so fucking long, and I can't believe they use that scene to close out the trailer. It, it's th- so funny. It was like their big budget <laughs> scene somehow. Yeah. Um, but okay, Hilarious. but the, so the other top two. brute, I've I've got one, and I wonder if this okay. is your top it's one. It's got to be the same. I'll be shocked if it's not the same. What's your what's your brute? During the avalanche, the guy that gets wrecked by a <laughs> giant piece of ice crushing him. Did you see that? <laughs> oh, man. I didn't even consider that one. So I'm excited. We do not have the same top brute. <laughs> okay, what's yours? <laughs> I, well, I just want to say about the avalanche one, I don't think... I don't think I noticed that in the Alive. Look, it's in a scene. it's in a big wide shot, oh, and okay. and it's actually it's a special effect shot. It's it's kind of a you know a, you know early special effect. It doesn't look great, yeah. but it's a little you know sl- tiny skier guy <laughs> going skier down. Man. And at one point, a like it's like the size of an asteroid just <laughs> obliterates this guy. <laughs> it's great. <That's> so funny. <laughs> For, so my top brute has got to go. Guy who gets sucked into the massive snowblower. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is without a doubt top brute. And then the bloody snow is just being thrown. And everyone keeps skiing like underneath it. <laughs> and skiing around this guy's blood and guts being thrown out from the auger. Just so ridiculous. And way oh, more brutal man. than I was expecting. I was like, oh, they're probably going to show him. Because as soon as that thing comes on the screen, we all know, everybody in the room knows, someone's getting sucked into that. We know. Oh, yeah. That's its reason for being in the shot. But I did not, I thought it was going to be one of those, like, ah, hands up, and then cut to, well, we all know what happened. The fact that they had the bloody snow being thrown was like, I was like, whoa, they went there. Bloody, they really chunky went there with the snow. There's guts in there. Yeah, it's not just red. You're right. There's 
there's like sinewy strings and like looks like kidneys and fucking things flying. It's so gross, but it was really effective. I loved it. I was yeah, I was, was all for that. Yeah, I was like, oh, man, I didn't know they went that hardcore with the 60s Bond, man. <laughs> so that for me is my candidate for top brute. No, that's, but- that's absolutely number one. That's, I'm <laughs> glad we finished on that one. But yeah, this has been another segment of Top Brutes. Top Brute. <laughs> I really wanted to talk about cinematography a little bit. Because I mentioned in early on I had some technical issues with this film. So maybe I'll start there. The way, at least in the version I saw, I streamed it on Amazon, I believe, where it was free at the time of recording. It was mm-hmm. fully available. There. A lot of Bond movies are free on Amazon, by the way. Um, That's I good think to know. it's it's like half the series. I saw a ton of them after I watched it. and was like, okay, cool. I can dive deeper into Bond if I want to just through this easily. Early on in the film, I was having a really hard time following the dialogue. And I couldn't really hear what people were saying. Things were kind of stepped on. And it was one I was really jockeying the remote. And again, this might have just been a flaw in the stream I was watching. But I was had to turn it way up to hear what anybody was saying. And then I had to crank it way down during the action scenes. And I had such a hard time understanding the plot because I couldn't really yeah. hear what anyone was, saying, anyone was saying early on. I don't think it really mattered that much because I eventually kind of tapped that. I was like, okay, it's a Bond film. He's going to go try to find that Blofeld guy. I don't really need to know why how he got to switzerland it doesn't really matter right so i i let it go but it was kind of annoying where i was like i can't hear what people are saying and i can't really follow what's yeah it's going a, on. it's not very well mixed that's for sure yeah. um i i think this is a movie that benefits from subtitles mm-hmm. for sure um yep i should have turned them on i thought about it and but I and here's the thing i mean every single bond film is has some element of this where it's overly plotty in like in the way that they're describing things like they they you know they almost always sound more convoluted than they are mm-hmm. and the thing is you just kind of know you're going to get to certain beats and once you understand the rhythm of a bond movie you can kind of watch it absent-mindedly almost yeah and i mean you know i was going to get to this kind of at the end but i mean it, it's worth saying here it's like to me a Bond movie is like easy viewing. It's just very relaxing. It's meditative for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of how I feel about uh, Star Trek movies, weirdly. Like I got into Star Trek movies last summer. I wa- started watching like the original uh, cast, you know, the Star Trek, the motion picture, uh, Wrath of Khan, you know, Search for Spock, that, that whole run. And those movies are just, they're just pleasant viewing experiences. You just throw them on and you just are just like, ah, that was nice. That was a good time Mm -hmm. with a movie. That's how I feel about bond. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's just very relaxing to me. Yeah. It's chicken soup sort of film franchise for you. Perfect way to put it. Yep. Yeah. With a lot of, with a lot of potential choices. What'd you say? 25? There's 25 Mm -hmm. movies. Yep. Crazy. You got a lot to watch my friend. But yeah, let's, um, I mean, you, you said the cinematography. So, I mean, like, I mean, I, I am with you though. Like the cinematography in this movie is it, it, like, we need to talk about it because yeah. it's, it's really a beautiful film. It's really good. And, and when the movie starts and there's that pretty cool scene where like, you know, she drives by in the car, he chases after her. We have that that beach fight scene. I'm like, okay, this is shot pretty interestingly, the way they're doing I like the that slugging. It's kind of, yeah, it's got that kind of shadowy, darker quality too. Yeah, they're, they're clearly they're like out of the silhouette. gates being like, we're, we're, 
because you got to remember the movie right before this is you only live twice which is super goofy and big mm-hmm. and and you know over the top and and so this movie is like going the opposite direction it's saying no yeah. we're getting gritty again and like the uppercuts the camera would travel with the fist a little bit it's like it was really kind of I honestly felt, based on what I've seen, a little ahead of its time in terms of action filmmaking, like yeah. really getting the camera in there and throwing it around like, real like you're part of the energy. The punches. There's yeah, weight yeah. behind the punches that there isn't in, in a lot of other movies of yeah. the time. And I think they maybe went a tiny bit too too far with it, but it was cool to see him going for it. Yeah. And again, if it's true that it was somewhat inventive to do that in 69, that's really cool that they were kind of maybe ahead of the curve in a lot of ways. But... So that sort of stuff I like, but then well, let me hold just, on. Let me. Can I say something right there? Oh, sure, of course. Well, I think it's important right off of that to mention that this movie was directed by Peter Hunt, and Peter Hunt was the longtime editor of these movies, and he stepped into the directing chair, and and that's a common thing for early Bond movies. Like again, it's it was never like major filmmakers making these movies at the time. They were people that had worked within that system for a while that would usually take the helm. So, um, yeah, Peter Hunt had been a, an editor for a little while, and he uh, took the directing reins on this one for the first time. And you can, I feel like you can really tell that it's made by an editor because there's a lot of really clever use of coverage in those action scenes especially where, mm-hmm. like, he's getting a lot of different angles on stuff, and so he, ha- he has a lot of stuff to cut between. And at the time when this was made, it was against the rules kind of to cut on action. Mm-hmm. So like you would wait for for stillness to cut because they felt yeah. like it wasn't you, you there was no coherence to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie went a different direction and it cut in the mid mid action like mid punch right. and you know and it creates that effect that you know Jackie Chan perfected mm-hmm. where you the way you position the camera and the way you cut can add emphasis to punches yeah. and make it feel more weighty. There's a weight from seeing a cut happen when a punch hits a face or whatever it is. Right. And it's cool that he was kind of bending those rules because, you know, screw the rules. Do whatever you want. And and I think it added something to these these fist fights that got really brawly. Like, remember that sequence in the bell room? Where yeah. they're just like throw, throwing each other around up against the bells? That must have been a pain in the ass to shoot, by the way. <laughs> like, even if those bells were not, like, super heavy and, like, real dense, they're still probably really noisy and you have to pretend fight with all these noisy bells. But it was a cool, really cool fight scene at that. No, I, I, I love the hand-to-hand fight scenes in this movie. But I think all the action is really well filmed. Mm-hmm. So another element of, of Bond movies that is always recurring are ski action scenes. Action mm. scenes on skis are in almost every other movie in the series, it feels like. <laughs> um, but this movie has more than most. Two. Uh, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty lengthy ones, too. Uh, yeah. But I think they're all really well done. The yeah. guy who uh, filmed those uh, is like a, a championship skier, and mm-hmm. he would uh, like strap the camera between his legs while he was skiing backwards in order to film those scenes while they're like moving down the hill. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, he's and also he, a stunt guy too, so he was doing a lot of the skiing stunts in the movie. Do you remember when he like half his ski falls off mm-hmm. and he's just doing it on one ski? So that impressive. was so cool. And and like we're saying, it was shot really, really well. They did do those kind of sixties things where they have to cut in for the close-ups and you can tell it's green screen and whatever. We cut it some slack. But a lot of times when they did make that transition to those close-ups, I was like, we don't need it. 
We know what everyone's wearing. You could just keep it wide if you want, but maybe they needed to edit it that way for other reasons. But yeah. really well shot and like really cool to see helicopter coverage that kind of swishing down, mm-hmm. the gunman following. Like it all worked really, really well. Can I tell you another crazy camera story from this movie? Please. Yeah. Of course so you can. on the DVD or on the Blu ray, there's a special feature uh, that's like a 1968. Uh, making of documentary like it's the original making of documentary from 1968 it's like seven and a half minutes it's real short but sounds awesome but there's footage uh of a cameraman that is strapped into a harness and hung below a helicopter with a camera like attached to his chest and that's how they're filming a lot of those aerial sequences of the skiing stuff wow yeah so it's a guy just being suspended and like like you know yeah. I wonder why that was better than just shooting out of the helicopter. I'm sure they had their reasons, but it reminds me of the crazy photography that they have to do for Mission Impossible movies. And I mean, it's no surprise that like Bond and Mission Impossible are my like two favorite movie series. I love spy shit and I love big action like this. But yeah, I mean the the that kind of camera work and that crazy the crazy lengths that people go to to capture this stuff on film is is so interesting to me. I just it's a stunt in and of itself just to get the footage. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. And and I guess now I'm thinking about it, if you're shooting out of a helicopter, you're just on the side door. You're not really gonna get the angles you want if you're shooting down on skiers. So it makes sense that they kind of did this sort of crazy harness thing. That must have been intense being that camera operator, by the way. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. But not only are the action scenes so well shot, another one I do want to say real quick is the car chase scene where they break into the actual car race that's going on. So like that, good. That scene is shot incredibly well from an action standpoint. Like these are great, really cool really exciting car shots that whole chase scene's great there are two like almost death stunts in that sequence that blew my mind when that one car blows up there's a guy that gets engulfed in flame totally yeah he's like he's like it almost like comes up behind him and almost takes him in and then there's someone who like gets pretty much hit by the car and like that dives was the out other the one way. yeah like when they're yeah. like he he like does like a, a kind of like juke move to tr- and then he like dies at literally the last second like he could yeah. have easily been clipped absolutely and that car was like hauling ass too <laughs> yeah that car had to be going 45 miles an hour something like that Easy. it was it was moving but yeah, yeah that, so but not only is the action stuff dope but there's also these just beautiful sunsets and sunrises and the mountain shots are so gorgeous. Like there's one in particular that stuck out to me when it's right after Bond does that cable car thing where he's kind of trying to shimmy along the wire. Which is a sequence that I feel like could have gotten cut out. So, oh, those parts? Yeah, I think so. That's added nothing of him going to the cable and then going, but whatever. But after he breaks out of that situation and he's kind of sneaking around there's this shot of like one of the patrol guards just like walking around and I can't, I think it's, I think it's sunset because the ski scene, the first ski scene that happens is supposed to be at night, but it's just this golden orange pink sunset behind this guy as he's walking around. There's a reflection shot involved. It was just so beautiful. And I was like, that is a gorgeous shot. And they really took good advantage of the location they were in, particularly in the Switzerland portions of the film where the vast majority of it takes place. Just really impressive 
striking visuals. I thought very pretty. And the, hel- oh, yeah. the helicopters flying. Well, that was the one I was going to say was the helicopters approaching in the morning with the sunrise over the mountains behind them is like, that's a stunning shot. Oof, like so I, good. I, I love movies that, that use the, like those like magic hour lighting, you know, things like it. And, and this movie does that a lot, but even like during the daytime photography of just the sweeping, you know, mountain shots as the helicopters approaching the base for the first time, like that's all just phenomenal shit. Oh yeah, dude. I got nervous when they did that shot looking down at that uh, balcony mm-hmm. that all the, in like the common area that the public is welcome to like mm-hmm. down below. But there's like all these people on this porch that's like hanging over the side of a cliff. And I was just like, Oh man, they shot it in such a good way that really brought across the, the scope and scale of this whole mountain range and how, how beautiful it is. I, I want to also highlight just, the color palette of this movie. I think it's just a beautiful movie uh, from, from a color perspective. And I mean, that's, that's, you know, chalked up to the cinematography as well. And I really want to call out the cinematographer cause we haven't done that yet. His name is Michael Reed. Um, I, I don't know him personally, but I think he did a phenomenal job on this film. Um, it looks like he shot, you know, a lot of other stuff in the seventies and eighties. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I think it, it's a, it, the color palette of this movie, I'm thinking specifically like early in the movie, um, the whole sequence at that casino in, I think it's Portugal is, is where that is. I, I, yeah. I can't or Spain, really tell. Maybe. Um, but yeah, I, I mean th- like the, the, I, I'm thinking specifically of, um, the shot from the balcony where it transitions from day to night and the pool, uh, the reflection of the casino sign lights up in the pool as it transitions from day to mm. night. Like the, I loved that, that stuff. And then like the color of like, you know, the, I, there's like purples and, and greens and the, like, there's a lot of vibrancy to, to those scenes early on, especially. And I, I really dig that. Yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. God, it really is. It's surprisingly beautiful. I guess that's not too super uncommon for Bond films because it's all international locations and stuff. But I was not expecting to have so many beautiful shots in this film. I was, yeah. I was pleasantly surprised. Well, I mean, one thing um, I think that we, we can kind of talk about here because it, it's, it, it pertains to it is uh, a person who was hugely influenced by this movie is Christopher Nolan, actually. This really? is his favorite Bond movie. And uh, the whole look of the um, Alps base and the action scene specifically at the end with like the, the white suited uh, mm-hmm. henchman, uh, you know, of the, the good henchman, rather. Um, that's all reflected directly in Inception. Absolutely. That makes so much sense now that you say it. I didn't, and it's snowy too, right? Because isn't mm-hmm. that stage of the dream world snow too? The whole yeah. thing, yeah. Yeah. No, that it's it's directly sense. referencing it. There's a ski chase in, in you know, the end of Inception a little bit. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's all there and he's he's said this like he he's outright he's like that movie rules i love it <laughs> like you know mm-hmm. like so yeah it's uh, i think that's really cool and you can tell i i think like some of the way that the large scale action is shot in bond movies is so directly reflective of chris nolan's style mm-hmm. um i mentioned earlier the living daylights has a amazing sequence at the end and I won't spoil what Chris Nolan action sequence is like directly miming it, but there's one that, and it's, it's super cool. Mm. He, he, like, he references it? Bond movies all the time in his, in his movies. That's great. Yeah. It, it makes total sense. Cause this movie 
does have a lot of really cool shit in it. And it goes to your point, too, of not no one has the same favorite Bond film. I mean, you mentioned you like this one quite a bit, and I think you said top 10. But it's going to be different than Chris Nolan's top 10. I mean, yeah, I don't, who knows? I, I got to believe that, um, you know, there are some constants, like Casino Royale is almost always towards the top of people's list. Goldfinger is almost always towards the top. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, though, there's really not much, you know, it's all variant. Yeah. And it, it's fascinating, too, thinking about um, like this being a Bond movie you really enjoyed. You said top 10. And we obviously have a great, great Bond girl in this film. Mm-hmm. But I think it speaks to the strength of the cinematography that it's in your top 10 and you didn't care too much for the Bond performance. Like you'd think a Bond is pivotal to a Bond movie being enjoyed. But this movie has so much other good shit going on. Telly Savalas, like the the cinematography, all these things we're talking about. Even if you're not in love with the performance of this Bond, you can get swept up in the other really good things that are going on in this movie. The only way to truly appreciate Bond is to take the good with the bad. It's yeah. all a piece of the same thing. And like I said before, sometimes the bad is really what's great about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when it comes to Lazenby's performance, I'm comp- I'm ob- objecting to the parts where he has to give a performance when he's doing the physical stuff. Like I said, like all the action stuff really works for me. I think he's a mm-hmm. great physical presence. The scene where he's like sliding down the curling, you know, thing and shooting. It's like, all that stuff is great. It's like, that's good action <laughs> hero shit. You know, yeah. he, he can pull that off. Absolutely. Yeah. And he slugs, he can sl- throw those punches. So no, he well. looks he like he can them. knock you the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah, so no, I I I dig his performance on that level. So yeah, I guess that's kind of why it didn't ruin the movie mm-hmm. for me, because like again, like anytime you're watching a Bond movie, you gotta you gotta understand it comes with some baggage. Yeah. Speaking of baggage, what did you think about that? The Angels of Death, like group of girls, who is if you pause it on Amazon, that did you ever see their character names? No. Oh, it's the worst. The character names are just like British girl, Chinese girl, Jamaican girl, oh, Swedish girl. Like they didn't even give the characters names. I was like, that's disgusting. Yeah. Uh, but it goes into kind of the horniness factor you're talking about in Bond films. They just try to get all these, you know, they overstuff it with the exception of the villains with beautiful people, you know? It's, yeah, it's just part of it's it. Part of the know? cocktail. Um, and yeah, I mean, listen, you, you do have to ignore a lot of misogyny. It's just unfortunately a big part of these movies. And, uh, I, you know, there are, I, I'm usually a stickler for a lot of that stuff as we've discussed on the pod, but I think, uh, overall I, uh, like when it comes to certain things, I am able to separate the art from the artist, uh, in that, in like a similar way, you know? Yeah, and Bond. Bond is just different. And also the character is a misogynist a lot of times. So even though it's not fun to see, it's like, eh, it's the character's a dick. There are dicks in the world. We can't have dicks on camera. Yeah, and then like the last thing I wanted to kind of touch on here is um, I think this movie, in something that action movies, in my opinion, need to have is a good amount of like these setups and payoffs. I think this movie does a great job of setting up elements that will come back later in, in important moments. So like this movie has a Chekhov's avalanche. That's fucking cool. Like they call out that there's like avalanche, you know, terrain uh, in the area, like as they're entering it early in the movie. And you're just like, 
you know, it's just a, a tossed off line. Like, oh, look, that's mm-hmm. uh, avalanche damage. And then like later on, that's like a major element of the the action. Yeah. Um, and there, we've talked in the past about when it's cool where they sneak it past you. Mm-hmm. Like that avalanche comment snuck past my defenses and I missed it. And then when it came back around, I was like, oh, shit, the avalanche thing. And so it really, it really, that one specifically really worked for me. Yeah. But I mean, I mentioned him, him sliding on the curling rink. I mean, that is a setup in itself. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, why the, f- I, I remember thinking like early on, it's like, oh, that's kind of weird that they have a curling uh, rink like at the top of the, this mountain here. And that's like their, their form of recreation. Like, it's an like <laughs> odd choice. I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense. Uh, it's a yeah. snowy Alps environment, it's a perfect place for a little, you know, outdoor rink. But uh, yeah, it was just a, a weird choice uh, that I just chalked up to being a weird choice. And then it comes back and they're like actually using that as like he's like sliding in to kill the guys. It's like, that's fucking cool. I love that. Yeah, yeah that was super cool. And then they also set up the bobsled chase because uh-huh. that, that was a really good setup too. where it's like I didn't think that was coming around. I thought they were just kind of showing you the area. Are you and one for bobsled? Yeah. <laughs> is that what it is? It's like, oh, my God, there's going to be a. A frickin' bobsled chase in this movie. This is great. Mm-hmm. No, it's it, I. I love all that 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 type of stuff. I think uh, it just makes for such a rewarding viewing experience. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we can wrap up there on on uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, obviously, I've had a great oh. time with this chat. One last thing, I do think we should put it in the show notes. If anyone is interested in checking out the trailer for this movie. It is absolutely hysterical. It's on YouTube, and it was, as we've said, right at the transition into the first non-Connery Bond. So the trailer is just really trying to hit home the fact that, like, yes, it's different, but don't worry, it's going to be great anyway. And they say the word different an unbelievable number of times. And also, old trailers tend to be kind of funny anyway. So it's, it's a great, goofy little three-minute watch if anyone wants to check it out. Really funny. I think I'm also going to put in the show notes uh, my personal Bond ranking list because I update yeah. it every time I watch a Bond. I make sure that I like feel like everything is where it should be. Um, and I, I think like I'd be curious to see what other people's rankings are as you guys you know watch them. I, I Jared, I, I want you to watch a bunch more of these because I think you'd have a lot of fun with it. And like like I said, like it's the kind of thing you can just throw on in the background and yeah. like you miss a couple of things, doesn't matter. You know where this thing yeah. is going. So, like, if I, like, go to the bathroom and then I come back and I'm like, why is he in Myanmar? It's like, well, it doesn't matter. He's there now. That's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, you've got the idea for sure. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, that'll do it for On Her Majesty's Secret Service. I think it's about time we uh, get another thing on the board and toss that dart. Yeah. So, if memory serves, this is a Drew Clark pick week. In addition to a Drew Clark film. That's it a little is, two for you got is. going on there. <clears throat> and I've already got a movie in mind. I I've been thinking about it as I was watching this movie, and I wanna get some uh some some you know, we've got a Jackie Chan movie on here. We've got, you know, uh some some interesting kind of pop art, I should say. Like like kind of like, you know, stuff that is popular and, and mainstream, but but also really fun, you know? Um, and I kind of want to get something else on there like that. I, uh, there's a movie that is a big shamer of mine. I feel like everyone in our generation that is into action movies has seen this movie. And I, it's one that I, for whatever reason, haven't seen. I'm pretty sure you have seen it. So 
I'm sorry to put something on that you probably have seen, but it's just something that I have to have to watch, and I think it's perfect for this show. It's John Woo's Face Off. Oh my God! Hell yeah, dude! That's a great choice. Okay, yeah, I would. I agree with everything you just said. I have seen it, and it is something that many people of our generation have seen. Um, and it's a perfect candidate for putting something on the board. Just something. It's a bit of a shamer. We got to get to it. I I don't care that I've seen it before. I'd happy happy to see it again. I just think and it'll be a, a movie. fun movie to talk about. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. Something a little more in the mainstream and a little different for us. And and I think it's organic how you got there from watching this movie and seeing some good action. It's like, oh yeah, let's see let's see a face off. Uh, that's that's the feeling, man. And uh, you know, I'm a fan of Nick Cage. Uh, I'm not as much of a fan of of John Travolta, but I'm really curious to see what he's like in this. So, yeah, time for me to knock off another shamer of yeah. mine from the 90s. Uh, it's face-off time, baby. Hell yeah. I could say some things about their performances, but I will not. Save I will it. Save it. Save it. We will save it. <clears throat> nice, dude. So what number again? That goes in at number 19. Nice. So let's run through the whole board as it sits currently. At number one, we've got You Can Count On Me. Number two, Ex Machina. Number three, The Right Stuff. Number four, The Big Sleep. Number five, Operation Condor. Number six, The Sixth Sense. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, The Fifth Element. Number nine, Days of Heaven. Number 10, Big Daddy. Number 11, Vertigo. Number 12, The Straight Story. Number 13, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Number 14, The King of Comedy. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Bottle Rocket. Number 17, The Blair Witch Project. Number 18, Waking Life. Number 19, Face off and number 20, Kung Fu Hustle. Dude, the, the, the list just keeps changing. It's so good. I love it. All right, man. Toss that dart and let's see what we're watching this week. Sounds good, dude. Well, Drew. Yes, sir. The dart has spoken. Ooh. What's it got this week for us? 14. Number 14 is Martin Scorsese's The King of Comedy. The King of Comedy for next week. All Back righty. on my streak here. I got two in a row now. Oh, I was just catching up. Just catching up. And you're yeah. starting to pull away again. Well, I'm excited to watch this one. Uh, it's a movie that has been on my radar forever. Uh, you know, heard Rupert Pumpkin references all the time. And uh, yeah, I'm... I'm I'm excited to finally get uh, get to check this out. I'm a huge fan of Robert De Niro, huge fan of Martin Scorsese. What how, what are you? What's your back? Well, no, we'll save that for the podcast. Yeah, I'll just say. Uh, also, haven't seen it. It'd be cool getting into a Scorsese flick. First one on the board, and first one for us discussing it. And I mean, he's just a legendary, iconic director. I love pretty much everything I've seen of his, and I don't know a ton about this movie. And excited to dive into it next week, man. Should Absolutely. Be, should be a good one. I'm excited. Um, so that's The King of Comedy from 1982. We'll be covering that next week on the pod. That'll do it tonight for our episode on On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Please remember to rate, review, and give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or give us a recommendation, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight. Artwork for the show is created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out there, Eric. Sorry, Mike. Later. Later.